0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, Anul Polat. Thank you very much for being here. We've got a lot to get into, as usual, on today's episode. But before we get started, there's a couple of things that I wanted to make a note of. For those of you who might still be traveling or stuck somewhere or know somebody who is traveling and or stuck somewhere, I've had a, created a page on my website on foxnomad.com. That has all of the different visa exceptions and rules related to coronavirus, related to flight cancellations for many countries in the world on my site. And that page is continuously updated. So I'm maintaining that page, which basically tells you and gives you links to what the current regulations are. So let's say you are in a country and you know that your tourist visa is going to expire in a week and you know that you can't fly out in a week because the flights are canceled. That's how X country is handling that situation. You can take a look at all the countries I have on there. Right now, we have got United States, Mexico, China, uh, European Union, UK, Turkey, Australia, South Africa. A whole bunch of different countries are on there. If you see something, if you see a country on there that you want information for, just tweet me at Fox Nomad or just, or just send me an email, whatever you want to do just let me know and i'll try to update the page with the relevant information if that information is available give you the link and all of that so let me know if you know somebody who needs a page like that um, it's it's a resource that i have created and that is is up there second thing i want to mention is the best city to visit travel tournament ended last week and it was one of the closest finals ever and it was one of the busiest and most competitive tournaments in a really i want to say a really long time but Usually, generally by the final, um, there's a couple. There was Granada versus Craiova, which was a very close contest. But Istanbul versus Singapore was very, very close. And usually, like <clears throat> at least for me, who's uh, who's monitoring the contest, usually within the last like six hours of the last day of voting for the final, it's almost you know like there's a there's a margin where I can kind of calculate the rate of votes for each city and then kind of figure out who's probably going to win but this one was down to the really the last like minutes it was so close was just a couple of votes and singapore pulled it off and poor istanbul did not win the competition again Um, i think it's been to the final four i want to say six times maybe it's definitely been to the final eight at least six times or eight times actually So Istanbul is one of those cities that's always there in the mix toward the end, but it just wasn't again able to pull it off. So it's probably only a matter of time, but it looks like Singapore, which is an exciting I think it's the first Southeast Asian country. It's definitely the first city state to win the competition. So I'm really excited. Hopefully we'll be able to travel uh, sometime this year. Hopefully that's possible. Um, and I will be going to Singapore if that's the case. I'm really looking forward to, eat, to eating there. I've been there before, but the street food there is just amazing. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna get fat there. That's 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 the plan. Um, but if you have any suggestions for Singapore or what to do, if you're in Singapore and want to meet up at that time, if we can, uh, then let's let's do it. Best place to get me is Twitter. Best place to reach me is at Fox Nomad on Twitter. And one other thing before we get into the the full episode is I wanted to thank all of you again for something that's just absolutely incredible. So a couple of weeks ago, the Fox Nomad pod this podcast got into the Apple Podcast top two hundred of tech, and that blew my mind. I was I was like I was just overwhelmed with just thank you so much. It's just um, I don't know. It's 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 just so nice to have that that support and and it's nice to feel like you're getting something out of this podcast everything i do whether it's a video whether it's a podcast whether it's a blog post i try to make it something that sticks to the tagline of the site which is to travel smarter so hopefully everything every content that you consume at least from fox nomad from me is something that's going to help you travel smarter and i feel like if you know if that many people are listening then then i'm reaching that that goal and uh, maybe entertaining you a little bit at the same time. So that was incredible and last week I was even more surprised to see the Fox Nomad podcast hit the top 50 in tech on Apple Podcasts. So wow, thank you just thank you very much for 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 listening, for being subscribed and all of that. If you haven't already, I know I'm, now I'm I've complimented you and now I'm going to ask you for a favor, but if you haven't already, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this, if you can go and and just give the Fox Nomad podcast five stars, there it's a, it's always a huge help. So leave a five star review; it's always a huge help for the podcast. Um, so I really appreciate that. And now let's just get into the rest of the episode. So in today's episode, what I'm going to talk about is some give you some quarantine content, but some books and why you might want to read books in particular. So. There's a lot of quarantine content going around with book recommendations, but I wanted to get into why you might actually want to read in the first place while you're in lockdown, while you're quarantined. Second thing is I've got a guest, uh, my first my first podcast guest. So we've got Derek Barron, a friend of mine uh, who writes Wandering Earl, who also runs Wandering Earl Tours. So he's going to join me a little bit later on. We're going to talk about his life what's going on in Indonesia right now, as well as uh, a little bit about the future of travel. So we're going to get into that. And then finally, we're going to talk about a little bit about Zoom security, but I want to take my cybersecurity expertise. I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about it more in general so it helps you understand why these kind of things happen with companies like Zoom, why they have these seemingly massive security gaps and what's going on. So I just want to talk a little bit about that and then wrap up with a small little discussion of should you order tech right now because there are a lot of good deals on tech right now which you may or may not be able to get due to shipping restrictions within a short period of time but I want to talk a little bit about whether or not you should take advantage of those deals or wait a couple months and see if you want to wait for some of the newer products coming out. But first, let's get into why read. So I've got a whole bunch of quarantine content that I want to share with you, but I want to talk a little bit about an interview I saw with my Michael Francis or Francese. It, it depend. I've heard his name and him pronounce his name um, differently, or maybe I've just heard it differently. But so for those of you who don't know, Michael Francis um, is was a. Capo in the uh, Colombo crime family, which is one of the five main mafia families in New York. Um, if you look, if you if you know Goodfellas, if you've seen Goodfellas, there's a scene early on in the movie where Henry Hill is introducing everybody as he walks by, and there's like uh, he's naming all these mobsters. Out of all those mobsters, Michael Franzese is the only one who's still alive, but he is in that scene, so he's actually mentioned in that scene. Um, And at the age of 35, in 1986, Fortune magazine listed Francis as the number 18 on its list as the 50 most wealthy and powerful mob bosses. He later claimed at the height of his career, he was making up to $8 million a week. In 1986, he was sentenced to 10 years in prison on conspiracy charges, released in 89. But the real reason I'm bringing him up is because he was in solitary confinement for eight years and he just put out a video through BuzzFeed talking about that experience and giving some quarantine content. He's out of jail now, by the way. He became a born-again Christian and has now been doing podcasts and writing books and he's been out of jail, I think, since 1995. And it's a, it's a very interesting story. There were hits out on him and all that stuff. And uh, I think everybody, as he's mentioned, most of the people who would want to kill him now are are dead and long gone. He's 68, 68 years old. Um, but aside from his very interesting story, this video I've, I found very insightful. So being in eight years in solitary confinement, he had some insights on how to handle quarantine, which is kind of not not really like solitary. I mean, it's not like that, but it it is there are some similarities there. One of the things he mentioned, aside from doing exercise and um, also like working out as much as you can, is why you should read books. So he talked a lot about reading. And he said without books, he would have gone crazy. He wouldn't have been able to do it. And he says that books transport you from where you are. So they mentally take you from a situation. It's it's an active form of, of thinking that that allows you to remove yourself mentally from the place you are physically, and it it does a lot to fire your imagination, You're the neurons that work on your imagination, and it helps uh, flex your concentration muscles as well, which is more difficult for us, I think, as time goes on because we're so used to things like uh, social media and like small like video clips, and we're easily uh, consuming information like that. And I found a couple of articles as to why you want to read. And this is even over audiobooks and stuff. So like what the benefits of reading actually are. It's very interesting. So on this Mental Floss article, which is the six benefits of reading every day, it says it can boost your intelligence. Um, When two twins shared the same genes and home environments, early reading skills appeared to be the factor that decided which twin would be better at both verbal tests and nonverbal tests like reasoning tests. Because reading ability is something that's learned, the study authors concluded that more emphasis should be placed on teaching strong reading skills to young children. And I think that's pretty intuitive that, that the more you read, the more intelligent you become because you are really using your brain. And I have read, I'm going to see, this is one of the, reading is one of the most difficult mental, The one of the most difficult things that your mind actually has to ever do. And there is there's something I read a long time ago so I can't I couldn't find the source so I don't remember which book it was in but that reading is the most difficult concept that the human brain has to learn so it's the most mentally intensive thing that we ever learn a couple of other benefits of reading one that the second one is that it helps increase empathy so according to a study published in 2013 people who consume literary Literary fiction have an easier time sensing and relating to the emotions of other people. The third thing is it can lower stress. So if you're feeling stressed at the, long, at the end of a long day, it says, cracking open a book is a good way to wind down. A 2009 study found that reading for just 30 minutes has similar stress-reducing effects to doing 30 minutes of yoga, which I think is, uh, is well, that's amazing. So the fourth thing, and it says reading may change your brain. A 2013 study discovered that when people read fiction with a strong narrative and plot their brains continue to behave differently hours even days later the brains of readers showed increased connectivity in the left temporal cortex the region responsible for language receptivity even hours after they stopped reading this suggests that reading can train the mind and boost neural function through a process that's similar to muscle memory the fifth reason that you should be reading every day is reading is an excuse to put away your phone at night. If you're too busy reading during the day, it says reading a physical book before going to bed is a great alternative to sc- to scrolling through your phone, something that, you know, we all do. Research has shown that a smartphone research has shown that smartphone use at night makes it harder for people to fall asleep and leads to an overall decline in sleep quality. Some experts say reading books on the other hand can have relaxing effects making it ideal bedtime activity. And the last thing from this Mental Floss article is it says, reading doesn't have to be a solitary activity. When parents read out loud to their children, they can pass on the benefits of reading and encourage meaningful interactions. To reap the positive benefits of reading to kids, parents should stick to physical picture books. A recent study found that print books in contrast to tablets and e-readers can promote the deepest connections between caretakers and children. I'm going to leave a link to this article, which has all of its sources linked as well. So it's got Psychology Today, Science Daily from Emory University Studies, Huffington Post, CNN Journal of College and Teaching and Learning, The Guardian. There's a bunch of all of these uh, studies are cited here. And another reason why you might want to read as opposed to listening to an audiobook or using a physical book as opposed to a tablet as well. It says this, it says, so a 2016 study, users used e-readers rather than traditional print books, and there's some evidence that reading on a screen reduces learning and comprehension compared to reading from printed text. If you're wondering why printed books are, it might be better than screen-based reading, it might have the ability to gauge where you are in an electronic book. As you are reading a narrative, the sequence of events is important, and knowing where you are in the book helps you build that arc of the narrative, says this uh professor of psychology at the University of Virginia. While e-readers try to replicate this by telling you how much of a book you have left, the percentage of time left or the page you're on, it doesn't seem to have the same narrative orienting effect as reading from a traditional book. Another consideration is whether reading or listening to text, so this is why reading is different than listening to an audiobook. It says our minds occasionally wander. Seconds or minutes can pass before we snap out of these little mental sojourns. And refocus our attention, says David Daniel, a professor of psychology at James Madison University and a member of the National Academy of Sciences, project aimed at understanding how people learn. It says, if you are reading, it's pretty easy to go back and find the point at which you've zoned out. It's not so easy if you're listening to a recording, Daniel says, especially if you're grappling with complicated text. The ability to quickly backtrack and re-examine the material may aid learning and this is likely easier to do well while reading. Then, while listening, turning the page of a book also gives you a slight break. He said, the brief pause may create space for your brain to store or savor the information that you are absorbing. Fascinating. Really, all that's fascinating. There's a couple of other articles I'll link to just in the show notes, why listening to a book is not the same as reading it. Basically, that article in Psychology Today comes down to listening is a passive activity whereas reading is an active activity you when you listen you are just absorbing content when you read your brain actually is doing a lot more work so it's an active process you've got to look at the words you've got to comprehend them you've got to imagine what you're reading and so on so I just thought those were very very interesting and also I did pull up I'm gonna see if I can find it so we've talked a lot about reading and how much it causes your brain to work and obviously work requires energy So where is that energy going? Does it actually burn more calories to read rather than just sitting on the couch and watching TV? And the basic answer is yes, according to this Time Magazine article, Ewan McNay, an associate professor of psychology and behavioral neuroscience at the University of Albany. He says, you will in fact burn more energy during an intense cognitive task than you would vegging out on TV, than you would vegging out watching TV. But in the context of an overall person's energy expenditure the difference in calorie burn from one mental task to another is a tiny amount he adds he says while the brain just represents two percent of a person's total body weight it it accounts for twenty percent of our energy use overall that means in a typical day we use 320 calories just to think that's that's good so if we read more if we think more you would think we would burn more calories and it says different different mental states And tasks can subtly affect the way the brain consumes energy. If I were to put you in a scanner and we looked at what's going on in your brain while in front of a TV or doing a crossword, your brain's activity would change if we gave you a demanding task and it would require more energy. However, he said, while you might think this is a good way to lose weight, it's probably not because any changes in brain activity and energy during a tough mental task are minute maybe a 5% change against the backdrop drop of all brain activity. He said, even if you were to keep your brain immersed in difficult mental pursuits all day long, this 5% change wouldn't add up much. Calorie-wise, it would be very modest. But hey, it does burn a couple of extra calories. He said, if you are doing cognitively challenging work for 8 hours, it will burn about 100 extra calories than a person just watching TV or daydreaming for the same amount of time. But we're talking about eight hours of learning a new instrument, like a new musical instrument or something like that. So anyway, it does burn a little bit of extra calories. I guess any calorie, any extra calorie burn is, hey, that's not a bad thing. So now that we've talked a lot about why you should read, I want to give you a couple of quick book recommendations and a little bit of extra quarantine content. First of all, I'm going to start out with this book by Brian Green, which I mentioned on other episodes of the podcast, that book is called Until the End of Time. It's basically from the Big Bang all the way to the present day, uh, talking about the physics of basically from the beginning of existence to now to human evolution. It is so well written. It is such a fun book to read, whether you are hardcore into science and whether you're not so science literate. The way Brian Green explains anything—I mean, you should just—if you look him up on YouTube or on, on a podcast interviews, he's done. He's fantastic. He's just such a great. He's so enthusiastic, but he explains the material so well, and with using analogies that are so uh, visceral that makes so much sense. I, I just love this book. I think it's a great read. Um, the next book I recommend is—it's called Anonymous—and it is about that hacker group Anonymous which you might remember from about 10 years ago. It's about how that group came to be and how the group fell apart, um, which is a very fascinating story. And then there's this other book called How to Catch a Russian Spy. Now, this is the true story of a young guy whose family had a bookstore in New York City in the 1970s, and they would occasionally be visited by the Russian consulate, I guess at that time, Soviet Union, Uh, consulate or was nearby. And so they would come in and ask for books and ask for documents. This was before Google, so um, they would get information. And uh, anyway, the the FBI became aware of this and his family worked uh, to just sort of provide them information, what kind of uh, books and what kind of studies and documents that these Russians were asking for. So the family would provide that to the FBI. But later on, the son, as the family gets older, and this is a completely true story, later on as the son got older, he wanted to be more involved. And he becomes a spy, he becomes almost a double agent. It is one of the most fun and fascinating reads ever. The book is very recent as well. So this is we're not talking about this happening all in the 70s. This is like 10 years ago that these things were happening it is absolutely fascinating. It's, it's a really fun read, so I highly recommend that you take a look at that. Um, There's so many other books on my list, um, so I'm just going to go through those very quickly. There's The Dictator's Handbook, if you're interested in politics. There's also a book called The Arabs, which is the history of uh, the Arab people, which is absolutely fascinating. If you're traveling anywhere to the Arab world, obviously, you know, it's Corona time, you're not really traveling <laughs> right now, but when you will be traveling... I highly recommend you read that book. A few others, if you are a sports person, if you're into sports, the Sports Gene is one of my favorite books ever. I love that book. I highly recommend you read that. It will dispel a lot of your misconceptions about athletics and genetics. Very fascinating. It's a guy who has studied, uh, genealogist who has studied athletes. He studies the world's top athletes. Due to confidentiality, he can't really talk about who he studied, but. I think you get some pretty big hints as to some of the people that he's worked with. They're basically the top of their field in track and swimming and sports in general. And so he studies their genes to find out what makes these people different than like regular people. What what are the differences between us? Like I'm saying us. Like you might be an elite athlete. I am not. So what are the differences between you know the general population and then you've got these guys like that are running you know, a hundred meters in less than 10 seconds. What's what's the difference? And so uh, the, the book goes into that. It's a fun read. It's a travel book as well, because he has to travel a lot around the world. So it's very interesting. He goes to Jamaica to study um, this event that they have every year. And I can't remember the name, but it's basically one of the biggest sporting events, if not the biggest sporting event in Jamaica. It's this massive high school track tournament where they take the fastest sprinters from all over Jamaica, from all these high schools, and they have this event every year. And it's like a massive, massive, intense party where people are like singing and dancing in the stands. But it's highly competitive. A lot of track and a lot of people from around the world, but especially like football coaches, NBA coaches are there. Like you have all these scouts from all over the world because they're looking at these these kids were like super fast and they're amazing athletes. And so it's like just major event. And Usain Bolt ran in that competition. All the basically all the Jamaican Olympic sprinters have been in this competition. So it's really fascinating. Highly recommend you read it. One more that's sort of relevant these days, it's called the end of illness, which is a book basically all about like, if you want an all in one, like how to be healthy book, it's really good. And what I love about this book, the engineer or the scientist in me, what I love about it is that the author says, this is not a book about my opinion. I basically, I have compiled all of the medical knowledge that we have or that we had at the time. This book was written a couple of years ago and used these studies to determine what we have a good grasp of and what really works and what really doesn't and what might work and what might not really a very interesting read. And, uh, Finally, I've got one other thing, which is the Autobiography of Malcolm X, which I, I think it has one of the best chapters of a book ever, ever written, ever. Um, and it's really when, uh, you know, I won't give it away. Maybe I'll talk about it in another episode. But I think that book has one of the most profound chapters ever written. And I think everybody should read that book. I, I really do. I think it's very insightful I think you'll get a lot out of it and I think it's a very interesting story both but especially you know from an external from a historical point of view but also from the internal journey that takes place Um, all right some other non-book related quarantine content I've got a podcast with Sam Esmail who is the creator of Mr. Robot which is a fantastic show which you should binge like now you should be binging that show but Mr Robot is was a you know Rami Malek Oscar winner Emmy winning show massively popular well not massively popular but definitely has a massive cult following great show but he didn't get that show until he's a writer and he didn't get that show until he was like 38 or 39 he was basically he said he was absolutely dead broke up until then but he just kept pushing away at it pushing away at it his friends were telling him man I, you know we want to support you we We know you're good at this, but this is probably just not going to work out. And he went through his entire 30s, basically, just writing and pitching and, you know, like in the Hollywood machine. Uh, He talks a lot in this interview about failure. I'll link to that in the show notes. I think it's good for anybody who's trying anything. I think it's a really good, um, it's a very interesting, both from, if you're into video cinematography, very interesting interview on that. It's about 20 minutes long, but it's also very interesting on his thoughts on failure. Um, And if you have ever done anything difficult or maybe if you're struggling with something now, you're you're learning a new language or you're doing your home quarantine, you're learning new stuff. This is, uh, if you've got a life dream, I think you should listen to this. It's very insightful. Uh, Let's see. Another thing. We've got a podcast from, not a podcast, so why did I write that? Uh, We've got a video from a Hollywood audio engineer that I I watch his YouTube channel, his great tutorials on audio editing. Uh, He also did the uh, audio work, a lot of the audio work on, he does a lot of work in Hollywood, but he also did a lot of the audio work on Mr. Robot. So I was like, all right, he's got my credentials. Anyway, he talks about the effect that the lockdown is having on Hollywood and how it's going to affect your favorite TV shows and movies, how those are all getting pushed back from pre-production, production and post-production. It's really interesting 6-minute video just kind of goes through like if you're waiting for your favorite TV show is going to come out in May, like how long you're going to have to wait and all that stuff. Lastly, well, two other things lastly. One, CBS All Access, which is CBS's streaming service is free right now for the next 2 weeks if you use the code gift. CBS All Access, there's an IO9 article which shows you all the best shows that you can watch on there. All the movies that are available. But it's really for Star Trek. It's got all the Star Trek TV shows. It's got the new Picard TV show. It's got Discovery. It's got all the like classics. We got Deep Space Nine, which binge it. Uh, it's got Next Generation, all that stuff. io9 has a good article that will show you what other non-Star Trek things are great to watch there. I will also link to that in the show notes. It has the Twilight Zone, the new one, the classic one. All that stuff. And finally, there's Flula Borg's math lessons. So Flula Borg is a comedian. Uh, he, I find him very funny, but I didn't know this. When you watch these tutorials, he was, he, I think he has a degree or a master's degree in engineering. Um, so he, he actually asked a whole bunch of like, he just asked the internet. He was like, hey, parents and kids, send me your homework now that you're being homeschooled and I'll show you how to work through these algebra and these trigonometry problems and stuff now this sounds terrible like to me that sounds like it would be entirely boring and like not fun but these 10 minute videos are very entertaining he's i mean he's a comedian so he's entertaining himself but he's also very smart and explains math in such a fantastic way and his explanation of what pi is is like 30 seconds if it just i was like oh and if you read the comments everybody's like oh i didn't realize I can now see what pi is, this irrational number. I now get it. Very interesting. Highly recommend that you take a look at that if you are bored. So this is going to be a massive quarantine content dump in the notes. You've got at least until the next podcast coming out. You've got plenty to keep you occupied. Hopefully you found that interesting. I know I've gone on a little bit long about it, but hopefully you found that interesting. And hopefully, it engages your mind and it helps you uh, get through uh, whatever lockdown you are in. All right. And we're back with Derek Barron, who's a blogger and runs Wandering Earl Tours. What's up?
1: <laughs>
0: uh, how's it going?
1: Not bad. You are in Bali right now? Yep. Uh, in the town of Ubud in uh, in uh, Bali. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh,
0: There's a delay. We're gonna be talking over each other. Uh, There should be like a disclaimer when you do this kind of Zoom call, where it's like, I'm not, I'm not being rude. I'm just talking over (laughs) you.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. Not on purpose.
0: Uh, Uh, Hopefully, it'll go all right. So, I haven't been there, so I don't know. Like, is are you like, is it a big city, or I mean, I've seen a lot of like YouTube videos, and it seems like a beachy place, but.
1: A lot of Bali, it's obviously has, it's an island, so it has the coast, but uh, the beaches are a little different. Most of the beaches that people think about are pretty touristy. uh, Not the kind of place that that other kind of travelers would want to go if you're not going for a beach vacation. So we're actually in Ubud, which is in the interior of the island, which is more jungly. So it's a small town. Uh, I don't know how many people, but uh, it's a really small town, walkable very laid back, completely surrounded by jungle and rice fields. So it's, it's kind of a, just a laid back, super chill, you know, beautiful place. Um, but I think Bali overall has 4 million people. So the Island's pretty big, but, uh, yeah, this town is definitely, a, I I would say my favorite spot on the Island uh, as the beaches are not here, are not really my thing.
0: Like, is it a setup where like you can, like how close are your neighbors? Are they like right next door or? Is it so, like a walk?
1: No, so they're pretty close. But the thing is, because it's all jungle, so we don't, The way they set up these sort of—they uh, call them villas, but they're more just—they're like rooms. Um, just gorgeous. Like this is like ours is uh, has a bedroom and a bathroom inside. Um, it's all built of wood, traditional Balinese style. We have this an outdoor living room and outdoor kitchen, our own little private pool, little waterfall lush gardens so you can't really see the neighbors because this we're basically looking at lush greenery in our yard everywhere um, so even though it's pretty close to people everybody has sort of a private space when you stay in these kind of places and that's uh, yeah, pretty quiet and just uh, yeah pretty isolated it's very nice
0: and is it locals around you or is it other foreigners like
1: yeah so it's definitely so locals totally live around here for sure. I mean, the owners are locals there. I mean, there's locals living all over the place. Uh, usually there would be more foreigners here too, as you know, I think it's like 80% of the you know GDP in Bali is tourism. So most of the families here have turned their homes into guest houses or built, you know, rooms in the backyard for foreigners to stay. So normally there would be a lot of foreigners here, um, filling up these guest houses and stuff. But right now that's definitely not the case. So, um, yeah, that's sort of how we were able to land this pretty sweet villa for, I don't know, less than 50% of what it would normally cost.
0: And people are like, they're, they're the owners are probably just happy to get the business, right? Rather than shutting it down and being like, all right, we don't want any foreigners here kind of thing.
1: Exactly. I think they basically have to figure out what's worth the cost. So I think for us, we're paying probably enough to Pay the costs of you know utilities and maintenance uh, as well as their home that's in the front of the property so that they can live without without losing any money. So I think that's pretty much what most of the guest houses and uh, these kind of villa places are looking at now. Is they just they're willing to take some people for a low price as long as it covers the overall you know their operating expenses and for them to live as well. And then it's then it's still worth it even if they're not making a profit.
0: So there's no like lockdown or like, I mean, because like here where I am in Istanbul, like on the weekends now, it's like lockdown, like you can't go outside for anything. You're just not allowed to go outside. I think there's like an exception for emergencies, but it's kind of hard to like, you know what I mean? Like emergency bread, I guess, but like you can just buy your bread on Friday, but is it locked down there? Is it a curfew? <laughs>
1: No, so there's nothing. So there's literally nothing here on Bali. Um, the only thing that started popping up the last couple of days are roadblocks on some of the streets. So set up by the individual neighborhoods where you the police are there and you pretty much have to be wearing a mask. And then they spray your hands with sanitizer um, in order to pass through. So you need a mask. So now we're just making sure we wear masks anytime we go out. Uh, apart from that, there's no lockdown. They don't want to do it because of the economic impact that it'll have. Um, Also, the number of cases are quite low here, Um, but instead of a lockdown, I guess what they've done is they've almost shut down Bali. So in order to, foreigners can't come here, obviously, and even other Indonesians from other islands are not able to come here unless they actually have an ID that shows they're a local from Bali. So if you don't have that, you can't come here. So pretty much the island itself is isolated. And I think that's that's sort of helping things, and they're hoping that will be sufficient.
0: Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess it's kind of one of those situations, like when things do open back up again, and people start mixing. Like, yeah, I wonder how that's going to work, right? Like, because I think everywhere has to kind of come out of lockdown together, right, for this thing to be to make sense, at least to me. Yep. So. Yeah,
1: for sure. Just because if your country is is fine. Uh, yeah, you don't want to open it up and suddenly take in people from other places that might have been lying about numbers or you don't really know what the situation is and and things like that. Um, but I actually was just reading like 10, 10 minutes before we started uh, started this uh, talk. I was just reading that Emirates is now requiring, Emirates Airlines is requiring blood tests uh, at the airport. So they have a 10 minute blood test that shows if you have Corona and hmm. uh, you have to take that in order to be let on the plane. And uh Etihad Airlines is about to implement a system that's a I don't get it, but a touchless screen where you sort of hover your hand over the screen and it's able to tell um if you have any of the symptoms. So those are supposedly going to be implemented in the next couple of weeks. And the idea was to, you know, facilitate travel so that you know, to start opening it up with as little risk as possible.
0: Yeah, because the blood test takes like seconds. Um and then the the I think the swab test takes like a couple of days, is from what I understand.
1: Yeah, I know the Emirates bloods. As they said it'll be ten minutes from when they when you take it till you get the results. So you just have to go to this area, you take it. But yeah, I think it's definitely different. Uh, I know here in uh, Bali a, a few weeks ago, if you were getting tested at the one main at the main government hospital, they took it and they would send the sample off to Jakarta, and people were getting results back in fourteen days. So.
0: I don't know, man. That's, That's very efficient. And that sounds to me like one creepy world. Like I feel, like, I feel like yeah. I don't know. Like I feel like that is that is this is putting us like into like a weird, like weird situation. Now where you are giving blood to all of these governments. Like, you, you do you know what I mean? I mean? It seems kind of intrusive. Just even for like a layover or to get on a flight. It, yeah, for
1: sure. I agree. I, I mean, I think at the end of the day though, like at least the way I see it, I mean, they're going to get our information from us. They already do from ways that we don't realize. So I don't think it's a, uh, you know, I mean, it's a tough one, but uh, I mean, unfortunately they're going to do it no matter what. And uh, as far as travel goes, I can see that that's really, I can't think of another option to, to start helping travel you know, begin again. I don't know what, what other options are out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, just imagine like what they can get. I don't know how much blood they're taking. It's probably going to be just like a, a prick, like a drop of it's blood. just a finger prick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that, you know, uh, people don't want sick people to get on planes, but it just seems like, to me at least, like we're opening the door to some some really weird stuff. Like I can imagine them doing blood tests now and not stopping to do it and then you've got to worry about what else like your blood i mean like you've got your dna anything else like in your like you you could have other diseases and all kinds of stuff genetic markers i mean there's a lot they can do with that i don't know how much you can do with a drop of blood i don't know if they're keeping it right. on record but
1: i don't know man at the same time look at this they can't even organize getting masks. Like that's the thing too. That's, but also putting a lot of, that's giving a lot of credit to governments and uh, various agencies to be that organized where, I mean, they can't even, yeah, you can see what the government's pretty much around the world. are totally unable to even control the situation on a basic level in terms of healthcare or economy. And I, I think that's giving them almost too much credit to, to think that they would be organized enough to actually, gather all that, instantly gather all that blood, do something with it, uh, you know, store the results, do something with it. I I personally think that's too much considering that they can't even handle getting masks to the right people.
0: Well, they certainly can't handle getting refunds to people on time. The airlines are like, you know, I had to to cancel a flight to Spain like a couple weeks ago. And uh, I've been on the, the, the case of, of Turkish Airlines, they're so they're like, they're like oh, it's gonna take us a couple of months to get get your refund processed. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like, like you canceled right. the flight, so you knew it was canceled. You, I'm, I'm presuming that you are using computer technology, and uh, I'm assuming that mm-hmm. it's probably gonna take weeks. Like, what what are the what what is going on with yep. the weeks? <laughs> you know? Yep. Uh, the airlines, you, you yeah. always count on them to do. the the, like to to just botch it you know
1: oh yeah i think it's just the bigger companies i mean you know i i run my tour company and i've had to cancel or reschedule some tours and you know all the smaller hotels that i use no problem even non-refundable bookings they've all refunded them and of course then i have like i'm dealing with the mercure hotel international chain in in Bucharest, and they refuse to give me money back uh they just refuse even though i've had to cancel that tour because the travelers were older and, and you know and they're not gonna go in September. If they refuse. They just flat out refuse. I mean it's amazing. So,
0: so it's yeah. gonna be
1: a big battle. The bigger the company, the bigger the battle in my opinion, to, to get the money back.
0: Yeah, I mean, so you're basically your tours are indefinitely stopped or are you gonna are you thinking of September or how's
1: that work? Uh, so as of now all my tours until early September are rescheduled for next year. So I still have a couple in September, October, November. So we'll see how things go with those. Um, my travelers don't really want to cancel the tours. They're really eager to, to go on them. So I, I do have some flexibility and we'll wait a couple more months before making a decision for those end of the year ones, I guess.
0: And so you're just going to wait until like September and then see see how it looks then?
1: I'll probably wait till like July and by July I should have a good idea for the rest of the year. Like you know, because I do need some time ahead to if I'm gonna reschedule it for next year, I need some time to do that, uh, and to notify, you know, people in the destinations that I that we won't be coming. So I'll probably wait till July and then make a decision for the tours for the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, I have this uh this article here from the Los Angeles Times and uh we were talking about it. it's it's titled, When Can We Travel Again? It's these experts mm-hmm. share their predictions. Um, and I don't think anybody can really be an expert right now on this, like how many global yeah. pandemics have happened with air traffic like this. Like, so, And then the, the predictions are like all over the place. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. Do you have a prediction on how this is going to end or what, what's going to happen?
1: I'm going to guess. I don't know. I mean, obviously, this stuff all over the place. The more I read about it, the more I see that this could possibly be over sooner than people you know might have thought because it is also a tendency of humans these days and media to really blow things out of proportion um obviously this is a very serious issue but uh i'm gonna guess that by you know september things are gonna start to roll back and by you know by the mid-fall we're gonna be pretty much rolling again so and i think you know i think what the vaccine is gonna happen i'm gonna guess the vaccine will be out earlier than, you know, those year and a half predictions that maybe by the end of the year, just because it seems like things are going extraordinarily fast, which might not be a good thing to do testing so quickly. But, uh, if, if it does continue, there might be one by the end of the year, in which case that would help get things back, uh, pretty quickly.
0: So, um, this article says that princess cruises and Holland America line canceled sailings through June 30th, Los Angeles is in lockdown until May fifteenth. And then this poll says, all right, one fifth of Americans say they will stay in a hotel within a month. You know, I guess you could just polling people what they think. So fifty percent, one fifth say hotel in a month, sixty percent within six months.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was six months. I think. I mean, just going back to the cruise line thing, I have a friend that works for another, you know, cruise line in their main office, and he was telling me they're they're about to fly all crew members from all ships back to their home countries. And they're going to charter planes to do that. So I know that's like a around 80,000 people. In order to do that, that means they're not going to be up and running for a long time. Because from that standpoint, for probably four or five months at least, because otherwise it wouldn't be cost effective for them to, to send everybody home.
0: I wonder like, if it's going to have any impact on people just not wanting to travel. Like people just worried about getting sick or exposed to germs. Yeah. You know, like how yeah. that's going to impact
1: yeah i think that'll be interesting to find out i mean i I, from at least the feedback i've gotten from people on who signed up for my tours you know sort of the older segment uh of the you know older age group they're just they're like we're not traveling international until until there's a vaccine uh pretty much that's pretty much the the message i and i have been hearing and um other people though seem to be pretty excited to to get back out there and travel i've actually been you know it's interesting i mean People didn't want to cancel outright. People wanted to reschedule tours for next year. I have a lot of requests for new tours for next year. People are saying, I can't wait to get back out there again. So I don't know. It it could be that, uh, yeah, people will jump back into traveling. But uh, obviously I think it depends on how this plays out in the end as well.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think until things are like not locked down, like I don't want to travel to France right now. (laughs) Like, I mean, there would be no point, right? Like, even if you could go, no, no, it'll be, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I think, I suspect that governments, especially in countries like where tourism is, you know, like the main or one of the main economies, I'm going to guess they're going to try to make a push to open things by the end of May. So they want to catch that summer travel season, Northern Hemisphere, sorry, Australia, but like, I'm just guessing there's going to be like this push um, to do that. I know like, in the islamic world that's going to be the end of ramadan so Mm -hmm. there's gonna be even a stronger push around i think it's it's like may 20th something like that so they're gonna want to open things up and then try to um get the tourist season going and i'm gonna guess it's gonna be stuff like we allow people from this country but not that country this country and not that country it's going to be like a mix of science like all right, they're not as right. but this, they have it under control, and politics as well. Like, yeah. I like this country, or I don't. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's gonna be so, so, sort yeah, of yeah, a blend. for
1: sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I did see that like Indonesia is talking already. They they they're coming up with a plan to attract the Chinese, Japanese, and South Korean tourists starting in about a month. Uh, if they can, those three countries continue to slow down. Um, at the same time, I guess the one thing that people don't realize with this stuff are all the businesses, right? Most of these businesses that are running hotels and stuff, it's not like they can snap their fingers and start up tomorrow when they haven't been operating for over a month or something like that. Um, same with the airlines, right? They can't just start up all their planes that have been sitting on the, you know, in storage for a month or two months. They can't just turn those on tomorrow and run them. I mean, it's not exactly how it works. So there's definitely time involved with just getting planes running again, getting Hiring crew, you're going to lose a lot of crew during this, uh, during this time. You're going to have to hire new people, train new people. You're going to have to, that's going to be mechanics as well. You're going to need to get the hotels back up and running, get new staff. I mean, uh, there's going to be a lot going into getting tourism up and running. Again.
0: Yeah. And we're also like, there's like a big assumption that people are going to have the means to travel because a lot of people, mm-hmm. like crazy amounts of people are losing their jobs and, and they're not yeah. going to have like the extra money to travel. And like you said, like, you know, an airplane, it's not good. I was reading, the, I wish I had that article. It was like airplanes, you know, it's it's like a car. It's not, well, it's even worse for an airplane to just sit. So they're really okay. designed to like continually be used. And so like, you think you have like extra maintenance costs. They're probably running skeleton crews now just to maintain the planes.
1: And yeah, I I would imagine, but I know some of these airlines that have grounded 80%. I mean, some of them, like even South Korea or Korean airways, they told 70% of their workforce to go home for basically the next, I think it was like four months. So, I mean, that's showing that they're not planning on getting back to full speed anytime soon.
0: Yeah, I do. I I do think though, once it starts up again, people are going to forget about this really quick. I, I don't know. I've been wrong. I've been kind of wrong, wrong about my predictions so far. But uh I think it's gonna be like yeah. next April or I bet in January when they do these like you know, like all the you know, like everywhere everything is recapping twenty twenty. And it's gonna be like, Oh yeah, this happened and that happened, oh yeah, and then there was this corona thing. And you're right. gonna be like, What? Really? Oh yeah, I thought that was like ten years right. ago. <laughs> you know? Uh I just and I say that now and we're probably still gonna be locked down in December. No, no <laughs> like I don't know.
1: I think, yeah, I yeah, think it will see. yeah, but it's no. I,
0: apparently, let's see, Rick Steves uh, says in this article, he says he doesn't think things are going to start up again until 2021. Maybe they won't get back to normal, he's, tr- he's saying. I don't try to look for like a specific quote, but I'm kind of, I mean, this is pretty much a, a horrible, like crappy situation, no matter how you look at it. But not traveling for me has been like i've kept catching up on a lot of stuff i wouldn't have otherwise um it's kind of nice to be in one one place you you know what i mean like for like somebody like like you too like you travel so much all right yeah for those of you listening we just got cut off which i'm sure (laughs) that's like
1: yeah
0: yeah although i I have to say zoom has been pretty decent in terms of the call quality and the connections
1: yeah, yeah, no, I, I've been surprised as well. Pretty pretty seamless overall.
0: I still think the interface is really clunky, and it's like, why can't somebody just make this better? Like, why? Right. It's like all these buttons. all the, like. It's just not a very nice interface. I know it's business. It was, you know, it's business-oriented. Right. The fact that so many people have to jump on Zoom now of all, and there's no other really, there are good options, right. but, you know, it's just, just kind of, and, it's a... <laughs> It's like the. Th- they should have thing?
1: the team available to to you know, to change it on the go as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's just not a very, uh, you know, it's not a very, like, pretty interface, but it works, yeah. I guess.
1: Yeah, it definitely works. Obviously, uh, everybody's using it now, so it works.
0: I wonder what's going to happen to their business after this is over. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> I it's kind of nice to do video calls. I mean, it is kind of nice, like, with all this technology to like. I feel like we didn't utilize that a lot enough before, but mm-hmm. it is—it's kind of nice.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, it's been pretty cool. Like, like I said, it earlier today, just did it with my family. You know, just to hop on with six different people from around the, around the U.S. It's pretty nice. Yeah, never thought to do that before. I'm
0: trying to think now. I don't, I don't remember what we were talking about, but
1: you're saying about Rick Steve saying it won't get back till 2021.
0: Oh yeah, you got a good memory. Yeah, Um yeah. yeah I think I
1: don't agree with that one.
0: <laughs> no, I think. I think it's probably gonna it's you know, like happen in segments. Like one country first is gonna be domestic travel, obviously, for a lot of the, like Italy and stuff, and then you know, it's gonna yeah. kinda happen in, in pieces in regions probably, is my guess.
1: Yeah. Also the thing is the situation is very unpredictable of how this is going. So every time somebody makes a prediction like that, it's based on literally this moment, the information we have at hand that's it so yes based on how things might be today it could you could make a prediction that it'll be 2021 but i think very hard to know uh, you know a big advance with vaccines or realizing that it is not as affecting as many people as they thought or that it's slowing down at it on its own many uh, as the weather gets warmer and it slows down a bit i mean many factors that who knows that could you know change that and suddenly now the predictions are going to be very different
0: Uh, yeah i think so as well i think and I do think, you know, there's this massive, massive, massive economic incentive to open things. And I think, you know, you're going to see that pushing back pretty hard as well. Um, so yeah. I, I think the more time that goes on, the more pressure there's going to be to open stuff.
1: Because yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously there is that there is that thing. I mean, that's going to be important for a lot of countries at the same time, obviously, to do all this work, to, to get things some, some, somewhat under control and then to... Make some decisions that let it get back out of control would be pretty absurd.
0: Yeah. I, I'm still, throughout this whole thing, I'm still fascinated by Sweden, who's basically been like, yeah, yeah. we're kind of going to do like a little bit of stuff, but not really lock anything down. Yeah. <laughs> like I just, I'm so, it's like, I'm so fascinated by it. It's pretty much the, one of the only countries in the world to just do that. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting.
1: Yeah, that's definitely, I mean, you can see it though. And their, their death rate is very high Yeah, uh, around 10% because obviously people who are more vulnerable are going to get it if there's no, uh, you know, no restrictions in place. So what
0: they're calculating, and I wish I, I could pull that up, but basically I saw an interview with one of their guys, top minister or whatever, health people. Yeah. And they basically were saying that when the lockdowns end eventually, because this is so contagious that like almost everybody's going to have exposure to it. So instead right. of locking things down, we're just going, this many X number of people are going to die from this. Right. So there's no point to lock it down. We're just prolonging the... Right.
1: Yeah, uh, I've seen a lot of debate about that theory. So.
0: It's uh, It's like, yeah, it's like this crazy global experiment that's going on. But you know, and I I saw this thing in New York in the New York Times, just coronavirus turns urban life's roar to whisper on world seismographs, and it's saying it's talking about how the world just basically is a lot quieter. Like we can see it, they can see it on seismology graphs. That you know, like without people outside. Um, I'm trying to find out how much, but it's like a lot quieter outside, obviously. But
1: yeah, I was seeing yeah. that, that they were saying the earth is just vibrating less.
0: Yeah, 20 to 25% reduction in average weekly noise compared to the week before in Britain, before Britain began its lockdown, according yeah. to seismologist Paula Kohlmeijer at the yeah. University of London. Yeah, uh, uh, sure it. it makes perfect sense. In Quito, which is like, there's a lot of earthquakes yeah. there. Uh, it's now down 60% just due to noise uh, yeah, and just nice. people walking yeah. around interesting times yeah no,
1: no, i mean it makes uh, it makes sense yeah it's very interesting times i mean that's the thing it's gonna be lots of interesting information out there it's gonna be lots of uh theories um i think the main thing is gonna be what do we do with this once once we get it under control let's see if the world will be smart enough to take some action so
0: what would you say to somebody who's like i guess we can we can end it on a positive note like Let's say you got you want to travel right? like where would you go first? somebody like where where's the where would you want to go first, assuming that things start to roll up in fall? do you go to like yeah, some yeah. isolated nature
1: place like if you're worried about exposure or yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's gonna be a big push for people to go to sort of your off the beaten path places that are quieter and you know to avoid some of these big cities or places where you have all these crowd, you typically have huge crowds of tourists from around the world, all gathering in one place. Like I could see a pretty big interest in uh smaller out of the way places to just kind of see something different, see something new, more peaceful and, and less people around. That's what I would do.
0: Yeah. I mean, you sound, you sound like you're in like literally in, a, I mean, I guess you are in a jungle, but it was like a bird chirping earlier. <laughs>
1: man, we have, we have all these cute little yellow birds. We have dragonflies. We have orange bellied lizards, geckos everywhere. Uh, we have a little waterfall in our, in the yard. Um, there's all kinds of stuff right there. So, I mean, I could see places like this, you know, that just, just, uh, I don't know, be somewhere beautiful and, and, and just appreciate what's out there as opposed to just going to the, to the big sites. I think that's going to be, that might be uh, the trend.
0: What's like some of the up and downsides of being there in particular, like during this lockdown.
1: Honestly, I mean, the, only, the only downside here is if something were to happen, the medical care system here is terrible. <laughs> that's, that's the main downside is that, uh, yeah, they can't handle much and it's pretty, pretty limited, uh, from that standpoint. So that's the biggest downside. Apart from that, honestly, it's peaceful. It's quiet. People are very friendly. It's extremely affordable. There's so much fresh, healthy food around here. Every, You know, these healthy restaurants are delivering. It's um, so inexpensive to eat. Um, you can get beautiful place to stay. And uh, it's warm weather, so you can just jump in this pool. Every place has a pool, so you can, you know, swim in the pool. And I, I don't see too many negatives to, to being here, apart, you know, as long as you're healthy.
0: Is there a, There's no curfew, right? Or is there?
1: No, oh, nothing. No, like literally, yeah, no. Because
0: okay. I saw this, I, I mean, I sent it to you. It's this, it's this thing where like the Indonesian police are dressing up like ghosts.
1: Yeah, I saw that. I think that's and, that's on the uh, the island of of Java, different island.
0: Yeah, like I would go out just to see that. I mean, when I say they're dressed like ghosts, yeah. they're basically they're <laughs> they, they look more like they're wrapped in stra- straight jackets, straight jackets. You yeah. know, like yeah, and their head is covered like in bed sheets. It's hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. It apparently that, did
1: not have the intended uh, result because people ended up coming out just to see them and take photos, put it on social media.
0: Yeah, there was one where like there's like some guys playing guitar or yeah. something, like on the street, and then the ghost comes out and they run away and they happen to run like one guy, like typical, like goes to the left, the other goes to the right, and the other one goes right past the camera, you know? Yeah. Like I, I think a lot of those are, are pretty staged. Do you know what I mean? Like Yeah,
1: no, definitely, totally staged.
0: Because if there's like a curfew totally going on, why would you be playing a guitar? Like if you're trying to hide from the authorities.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what to do. I do know that on like Java, on the main island, there's is, there's more of a lockdown. So like Jakarta, the capital, most of that is now sort of on some kind of lockdown. Uh, some of the other cities and towns on that island have closed their borders so nobody can come in or out. So I know there are more things going on there because that's, I think, about 90% of the cases in Indonesia are on that island it's pretty funny yeah if i if the ghost thing was happening here i would definitely go and check it out but, uh, <laughs> no wrong island
0: that's what quarantine does to you You're know? like man how can i what can yeah. i do like i i know <laughs> yeah
1: some weird stuff popping up in all this
0: forget about police we're gonna we're gonna use ghosts <laughs> and like poorly like it like the worst like that if if you just saw the guy yeah. in the video, you're like, "What? What is that? Like, that doesn't even look right. like it looks you're just like,
1: somebody... like Hey, man, why are you wearing sheets?
0: <laughs> yeah, it looked like somebody was just folding sheets, and like it's like yeah. a cartoon, like a Looney Tunes or like a I Love Lucy, and then she's just all like mixed yeah. up in the sheets, kind of thing.
1: Yep, that's pretty much. Uh, yeah, they didn't put too much effort into the uh, ghost design. Uh, I love it though. I,
0: th- I think it's great. And then India had cool. like these cars. Have you seen those cars that have like? Yeah. They're, like, coronavirus, like, like, it literally is, like, a little, like, coronavirus. It's just driving yeah.
1: around the streets. Same with the police, right? You saw the police wearing the coronavirus helmets.
0: I do. I want one of those so yeah. bad. So, it's, like, a that helmet. pretty unbelievable. It's, like, a helmet, like, a green, I guess it's green, and then it's got these, like, coronavirus, like, the, you know how the coronavirus has, like, a red arms that stick out of it? And so, they're wearing those hats, so... I guess to bring awareness, right? Or are they just stop. And they dance,
1: like they're dancing in the streets, they were they were instructed to act like a virus. <laughs> so the the police are wearing the coronavirus-looking helmets while dancing around the street, acting like a virus in order to scare people or to show people that it's serious. Yeah, it's like,
0: hey man, One no, that's do a, it. It's like uh, you're 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 being a little bit too. I just the director is like, you're being yeah. a little bit too DNA. Can, you need to be more RNA. Yeah. Just. A little bit more RNA, please.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the virus doesn't move that fast.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, also, less
1: fingers. So you, less fingers. Yeah, more tongue.
0: Yeah. And you're also about a trillion. Like, can you imagine the ad? Like, you know, like they have those like ads for actors, and it's like, yes, yeah. must be <laughs> one trillionth the size of an uh, atom or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, you're just a little bit too big, yeah. buddy, but we'll go with you.
1: Pretty funny, though. Yeah. Pretty, pretty yeah. creative. give that.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen anywhere else doing anything that no. funny, but I'll, uh, I'll no, post those that, in the notes if I can. If I can dig those up. That definitely wins. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's ridiculous, yeah. Uh, we gotta get a coronavirus helmet. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it's possible. Oh, anything is possible. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> All right, I won't keep you too much longer. Um, but uh, the scams video, I don't know, have you seen the scams 2 video?
1: No, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll check that out today.
0: Yeah, it came out a few hours yesterday. Cool. Cool. Yeah, Yeah. I look forward to seeing that. Um, Anything else? What are you up to the rest of the day? (laughs) The rest of the
1: day, I'm uh, going to go to the shop around the corner, just buy some basic supplies, and then uh, yep, do my push-up routine, eat some uh, healthy dinner. About it.
0: Sounds like a good plan. Yeah, you got a good day ahead. Yeah, I'm gonna record, I'm gonna edit this podcast episode, and then I'm gonna film That's another good. video with uh with some uh, with some cats. <laughs> nice, nice. If you need if you need some kitten
1: footage from here. Let me know.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh I, I don't have any humans to interact with at the moment, so <laughs> we're just going with with different life forms. Right, fair enough. Yeah. Cool. Enough, that works. Well, thank you very much. Um, Anytime, brother. Wandergirl.com, tours.com, go 2021. There we go. Coming up, not too far away. <laughs> the year to travel. <laughs> oh man, I can't believe like literally like a month ago, it was just like making travel plans. Like, yeah, it's will blow yeah. over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like less than two months ago, we were in India. So. I can't, I still can't believe that. Like I still yeah. like that. It's funny every time i put out a video people are like you shouldn't be traveling i'm like no no, no. i film i filmed, oh, that was before yeah <laughs> i filmed it
1: a, a while ago like uh, yeah that's months ago. that's key cool. all right well uh enjoy we'll, we'll be Bali out there time. again soon hopefully
0: yeah see you in 2024
1: and <laughs> yeah sounds good all right man talk to you later all right have a good one brother you too bye, bye.
0: All right, and we're back now. I want to talk a little bit about probably you're using Zoom at some point, right? Like, are we all using Zoom now? Uh, I know I just said in the last segment that I think the interface of Zoom is clunky. Like, it's still, it's just like nobody's made like this really user-friendly interface to, to have these video calls, or have conference calls and stuff like that. This thing we need really right now. But Zoom has just sort of made it. Zoom was, I guess, the best option and it's kind of exploded. And there have been a lot of security and privacy concerns about it. So Bruce Schneier, who's a cryptologist, um, he's also, let's see, he is a fellow and lecturer at Harvard's Kennedy School and a board member of the EFF, which is the Electronic Freedom Foundation. He is an all-around security guru. He publishes his, he's got a blog where he publishes information and, and stories about security and cybersecurity. It's a it's it's a very simple site, but it, if you want to learn more about cybersecurity, it's definitely a good place to start. You'll keep you up on the news, kind of get his take on it, and he's very he's one of the world's top experts in the field, so it's definitely worth um, definitely worth checking out. And he wrote this thing about the security implications of Zoom, and I wanted to kind of zoom out. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I no, know, I no know, bad joke, but I wanted to talk a little bit about like not the specifics because a lot of things have come out on zoom as far as privacy security concerns and they patch stuff and if you are using zoom you know that they've been like updating like every day there's now like this security privacy policy that pops up and one of the updates and all this stuff and there's even this little security tab at the bottom of the zoom window but i wanted to talk about like why these things happen because when these things happen i think a lot of the public reaction is how could they be doing this why is this such a mess and obviously, they didn't expect the pandemic to happen. They didn't expect their business to just like blow up. But it makes you wonder, like, why these security considerations were there in the first place. And I wanted to share this article with you and kind of give you my thoughts as somebody who is an expert in the field as well. So basically, uh, Bruce says Zoom's problems fall into three broad buckets. The first is bad privacy practices. The second is bad security practices. And the third is bad user configurations. So he says, privacy first. Zoom spies on its users for personal profit. It seems to have cleaned this up somewhat since everyone started paying attention, but it still doesn't. The company collects a laundry list of data about you, including username, physical address, email address, phone number, job information, Facebook profile information, computer or phone specs, IP address, and any other information you create or upload. And it uses all of this surveillance data for profit against your interests. He says, Bruce says, last month, quote, Zoom, last month, Zoom's privacy policy contained this bit. Uh, does Zoom sell personal data? It depends on what you mean by sell. And basically, he says, that paragraph was created, was carefully worded by lawyers to permit them to do pretty much whatever they want with your information while pretending otherwise. So any of you who have downloaded an app from the marketplace, remember consenting so you basically, when you download this app, you consented to uh, the personal data, consenting to what they do with your personal data and how they share it with third parties. But we all did it when we downloaded it. And he says, surprising large number of third party trackers on the Zoom website and its poor privacy practices in general are well documented. And it says they rewrote the privacy policy. Just last week, it says, we do not sell your personal data, whether you're a business school or an individual user, we do not sell your data. We do not use data we obtain from your use of our services, including your meetings for any advertising. We do use data we obtain from you when you visit our marketing websites, such as zoom.us and zoom.com, so on, so on. So basically, they are saying that their website is a marketing website. So anything you use or do through that website is going to be open game for, for them, for you consenting to using their data, which obviously means using, when you use their website, they're collecting their data you get the application from their website. So that's something to keep in mind. Going into the second thing, security, it's sloppy at best says Bruce malicious at worst. He said motherboard reported that zoom's iPhone app was sending user data to Facebook. Even if the user didn't have a Facebook account, Zoom removed the feature, but its response should worry you about floating, sloppy coding, sorry, sloppy coding practices in general. Uh, and it basically says that Zoom can be used for for Zoom for Windows can be used to steal user credentials and This is a great article, so I'll just link to it. Bruce also says they're lying about the type of encryption they use. It says their documentation claims that the app uses AES-256 for encryption where possible. However, we found in each Zoom meeting a single AES-128 key is used in ECB mode by all participants, so on and so on. Indicates there is no one at the company who knows anything about cryptography and so on. So to zoom out a little bit on this, Why do these things happen? You might be wondering, Zoom, why do these things happen? First of all, I don't know the history of Zoom. So I'm not, I don't know the history of them, but I'm going to assume that they started like many other startups. You've got a small team, you've got an idea. The first thing that that idea is, we want to make a great conferencing app because we see a need in the market and we're going to make it. And so when you're developing something, developing anything, I mean, I have developed now... Really, ten applications for iOS and Android. Foxnomad.com/apps. If you want to check any of those out. So when you first develop something, come up with an idea, you draw it on paper, and you go, "All right, these are the things I want it to do." You start coding it, and when you code it, you realize there's some things that are either difficult to do or that don't work as well as you imagined originally. And then there's the user interface that you have to put on top of that so it's easy to use and it makes sense. All of this said security is usually the last concern and that makes sense you you you're when you're developing something something that's not a security oriented product like zoom you want something that's going to work like making the product is hard enough you have a certain number of hours you have a certain budget so you're not going to allocate a lot for you're not going to allocate a lot for security you're going to either allocate uh security if you've got a client who's asking for it or if there's a regulation that you need to follow Or if there's some significant, so if you're doing a security app, but in in Zoom's case, like they're just going to be like, all right, we've got to get this thing to work. We've got to get it out and we've got to make it useful. And then as their user base grows, the next stage is not security. The next stage is, okay, what is the feedback we're getting from our users in terms of the user interface, how this thing works? Great. So we're going to try to update that. Oh, we've got new users. We've got a lot more users. We're going to need to build out the infrastructure For these users so then you have that you've got this expansion of the technology behind zoom and security is kind of like an afterthought and almost most 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 companies you'd be surprised even large companies don't have a dedicated security guy they don't have somebody who's a security engineer or a security consultant who helps them with the security and it's not the same thing as being a computer programmer or being an it specialist Security is its own thing. Yes, those uh, developers and those IT guys might know about security, but it's definitely not their expertise. It's a a different track now if you're in university. It's sort of a different mindset. So it's a different approach to looking at stuff. And security often means we're going to have to take extra work hours to to fix something, to do something. We've got to convince management that we need to do this because management is probably not going to be very security savvy. They're not going to understand why you need to spend two weeks to reroute this encryption thing. I mean, it's going to slow the system. Like, why are we doing this? It's not bringing us any revenue and so on. Security is one of those things. It's like an afterthought and it doesn't immediately bring in revenue, but it does create some, brad, some, brad, <laughs> some bad press. So, that's what you're seeing with Zoom now. So they're doing all these security changes and updates to their privacy policy because they've really got a microscope on them right now. They want to keep that good public they want to keep that good public faith and a couple of school systems in the United States and a couple of governments have banned its use for official for official use. And so Zoom is now trying to play catch up. Obviously, they didn't see this coming. They didn't see the pandemic coming, and it was good enough until now because they had a huge user user base anyway. So that's basically why these things happen i mean it's just sort of a, if you zoom out most of the companies that you use most of the digital companies and services you use are probably in the same situation if the pandemic was like you know i don't know affected some other company that exploded you know, just blew up like zoom you'd probably be hearing about their security mess behind the scenes as well it's just kind of the way things are and the things that really fix that are having one having security people on hand. But the second thing is really just having the, the regulations in place that force companies to do X, Y, and Z. So you have regulations for what they can do with your data, what they can do uh, once they have your data, how long they can retain it. And then as as far as like uh, security, you know, protocols and, and things that they have to do, regulations or so having a legal structure forces then companies to do it. Otherwise, they're not going to probably do it on their own until you know, things get out in the press like it is in this situation. So it's interesting. It's been interesting to follow Zoom's sort of going through this because I have seen and worked with a lot of companies that have gone through this. So they basically, their business expands and then people start asking about security and you get all these things in the press and then, you know, you got to fix it as fast as possible. And so they're sort of doing it on the fly and trying to probably find security experts to help them with all of this. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of insight about Zoom security as far as like without the specifics, like why do these things happen at all? Like why are companies not as secure as they could be? And just as a teaser, I'm going to save something for an extra special episode, an extra and special episode of the podcast is coming out in a couple of probably sometime at the end of next week. So these podcasts come out every other Friday. That's the regular schedule but we might have an extra one coming up. I actually had planned some off time, some offline, I guess, vacation time at the end of this month. Probably not going to use all of it because it's not really a lot I can do, but just maybe take some time offline. But I do have a special episode of the podcast scheduled, a lot to talk about tech in that podcast, a lot of new tech announcements this week, and a lot of new online events coming out for products I'm really looking forward to next week. So we're going to get into that. And we're going to talk about whether or not you should order the new tech now. And I think I'm going to wait until next week's episode to share that with you. So there you go. Because there's a couple of new products that are going to be released next week that are going to maybe change that equation. Thank you very much to Derek for being a guest on the podcast. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, all of you, for listening. I hope this helps give you or gives you some content to get through quarantine and lockdown or whatever you're going through. But as far as the books are concerned, it's always a good time to read. So I highly recommend you do that. And I know it's really difficult. I found it more difficult over the years to get in that reading time and keep my concentration because I feel like my attention span has shortened over time. And I thank you, Internet, for that. But... Uh, It's a good muscle to flex in your brain is to get that 30 minutes of just reading and taking your brain out of the situation. If you can try to get that in every day, even if it's 15 minutes a day, I think it'll be beneficial. So thank you again very much for listening and I'll talk to you in the next episode.